28th of June 2014. A body is found in bushland off Jamboree Mountain Road, Jamboree, about 90 minutes drive southwest of Sydney. It looks like a gangland execution. This is a story about John Gazowski, who got in too deep and paid the ultimate price. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, Happy New Year and I hope it will be a great year for you all. There wasn't a show last week because I only had internet on the phone in the most part while I was in Thailand, but now I'm back after a good break and ready to bring you some interesting cases. I have a couple of well-known ones coming up that I want to put my spin on, and later in the year a special thingo will be happening, so I'll let you know as time gets closer. Now, I just want to say that the Australian Podcast Awards are back on for 2019. It would be great if I can get all the listeners to register and vote for the island in the popular category. Last year we came third and we almost made it to number one. This year it's ultra competitive so we need your vote for the island. So to vote go to australianpodcastawards.com. There is a vote button at the top right of the screen for desktop browsers and there is a menu bar for phones. Now I've heard some feedback that sometimes you will not see the menu bar properly at the top right-hand corner. It's like three little bars. So you might have to just zoom in to get that. If you've got any issues, just email me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com, and I'll sort you out. It's easy to register. And you do have 10 votes, so you can give up to 10 podcasts a vote. Uh, but vote, vote for me and uh, I want you to also vote for Tara and Barney at Bloody Murder and Alex and Ben at Mall Podcast so uh, we need to pump those numbers up it's really competitive this year I reckon we can get the island a number one this year but we need all hands on deck and every vote will be very much appreciated now there's links I will give out via Twitter and Facebook so you can just click those and you'll get there But not everyone is on social media, so again, australianpodcastawards.com, register and vote. I really appreciate the effort everyone put in last year to get to the island into the top 10 and third place overall. Not bad for a one-person show running out of the bedroom, but as always, it's the listeners that make the island. So anyway, tonight's show is not a well-known case by any means, unless you live in the areas where it all went down. But I wanted to bring it to you, mainly because of how it all did go down and how people can get sucked in beyond their depth and pay the ultimate price. It's also a story about how some people are manipulating pathological liars who will lie, cheat, manipulate and even kill without remorse, just for their own selfish benefit. I'm sure most of you have met someone like that in your time. 
You know, that person who seems too good to be true, nice to the extent that you wonder what is really going on with them. Tonight, I will tell you about a guy described as, and I love the way the legal profession describes stuff sometimes, this guy is described as a fraudster and a deceiver. That evil deceiver. His name is Glenn Roland Dunstall, a 48-year-old interstate interstate truckie from Wagga Wagga, about a five-hour drive southwestish from Sydney. Dunstall is a lifetime con man who has spent plenty of time in and out of prison. Now, it's while he is in prison around 2011-2012 for ripping people off, Dunstall meets a guy that the court refers to as Witness A, and we're going to call him, and the court did call him, Mr. Archer. Mr. Archer is doing time for importing a significant amount of prohibited drugs, and he and Dunstall hit it off, and they end up referring to each other as brother. Hey, bro. While inside, they start talking about and planning their criminal life when they get out. So eventually, Dunstall is released from prison, and Archer starts day release. Now, day release is where, under certain circumstances, prisoners can get supervised day leave from prison before their proper parole st- period starts. From what I can gather, sometime around 2013, Archer is looking to manufacture meth, and Dunstall tells him that he can get the precursor chemicals to make it with. Now, before I go on with the meth operation, we need to introduce a couple more characters into the story. First, there is cash-strapped, then 46-year-old married father of four, John Gazowski. John had accessed his superannuation. Now, superannuation is money you put aside each payday that is used for retirement. Now, you generally can't touch it unless you have a self-managed fund. Now, he did access access it by way of a self-managed fund and put most of it against a purely speculative investment that failed. This sort of meant that he, his wife and children had a pretty grim future ahead. He's 46, he's blown all of his retirement nest egg And so he needs to sort something out to avoid being financially fucked when he retires in less than 20 years' time. He's friends of a cafe owner in Sydney, who the court names as Mr. Brixton. Now that's Witness B. Now, Mr. Brixton, as I said, runs a cafe in Sydney, which is seemingly legitimate, but it looks like Brixton also is involved in other not-so-legitimate operations. Gazowski starts to work for Brixton at the cafe in the role of a gopher. Go for this, go for that, and eventually, as their friendship and trust deepened, Brixton and Archer, well, they got to know each other quite well, and as their relationship deepened, Gazowski started to do some general hand work and gopher work for Archer as well. Now, as I said before, Archer and Dunstall were trying to do a Breaking Bad and set up a meth lab. Dunstall told Archer that he can get precursor chemicals required to cook up the meth, and so they commenced setting up the lab. John Gazowski, in his role as gopher for Archer, became trusted to the extent that he would soon be introduced into parts of his criminal enterprise. He was supplied with a fake driver's license and a Hyundai van. This van was used by Gazowski to run around, pick up various items such as glassware for the meth lab. 
Archie was careful enough not to purchase all his supplies from one place to try to avoid suspicion from retailers, who quite possibly would tip off police if they thought the products were being used in an illegal way. The fake driver's license was used so that Gazowski could provide a written assurance in a false name that the purchased glassware would not be used in the manufacture of prohibited drugs. And the false license meant, of course, that the true purchases would be untraceable. So Gazowski is being employed by both Brixton and Archer as a trusted guy that can run around for them. Now, from what I can read into the limited material I had to research this, it looks like the precursor chemicals that Dunstall supplied to Archer were either fake or of such low quality that their meth venture failed, leaving Archer in a bit of a financial squeeze. Now, there was certainly no Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. Not, not by a fucking long way. Anyway, Archer and Dunstall, they, they didn't fall out over this as it's obvious that Dunstall was able to deflect all blame from himself, which goes to show the level of bullshit he was able to spin. Now, before I go on, Dunstall has a bit of a method of operation when he commits his frauds. First, he's quite a personable guy, friendly, and is able to gain the trust of his victims reasonably well. The first example I want to tell you about is in relation to the sale of a truck to a Mr. Soul Duck between December 2012 and April 2013. Yes, that's his actual name. It's not an alias. His name is Mr. Duck. Dunstall told Mr. Duck that a friend of his had a truck available for sale that Mr. Duck may care to purchase. Dunstall said to Mr. Duck that he could do it for him. Later, Dunstall sent a number of photos of the truck to Mr. Duck via mobile phone and suggested that those were photographs of the truck that was available for Mr. Duck to purchase through him as a middleman. At one stage, Mr. Duck attended a truck yard in Wagga Wagga and Dunstall showed him a large white prime mover, which appeared to Mr. Duck to be the same as the one depicted in the photos that had been previously sent to him. Dunstall provided Mr. Duck with a key to the prime mover and Mr. Duck test drove it around the yard. Subsequently, on many occasions, Mr. Duck transferred significant sums to Dunstall. On the understanding of Mr. Duck, those payments pertain not only to the purchase of the vehicle from the third party, but also to the cost of various improvements and modifications that Mr. Duck understood were being made to the prime mover. The final payment made was 10000 in cash on the 24th of April 2013. During the period in which Mr. Duck was making payments for the truck, and that had not yet come into his possession, Dunstall provided various false documents to Mr. Duck in order to allay any concerns on his part. So he showed him receipts for work, parts and all that sort of stuff. Dunstall also transmitted further photos showing the progress of repairs to the vehicle. Ultimately, Mr. Duck transferred over $105,000 to Dunstall. But no prime mover ever came into the possession of poor Mr. Duck. Mr. Duck got fucked. However, he was able to recover $27,500 of that amount through contact with Dunstall's family. It's not clear how that happened, but he was able to get some cash back. 
Now, Dunstall tries this on another guy called Mr. Fidel. Now, by this time, Dunstall's phone was being tapped by the cops. And I don't want to get too far ahead of the story, but it was the same sort of deal. Dunstall offered to negotiate the sale of a truck trailer to a Mr. Fidel for $80,000 on behalf of a friend. Dunstall sent photos to Fidel of a truck trailer he had for sale on behalf of a dead relative's estate and Dunstall just downloaded the photos from the internet and using the fake name Robert, called Fidel, told him that he required a $30,000 deposit and for that to be given to his authorised agent, a Mr. Dunstall. So here's Dunstall acting as the relative of the deceased estate, Robert, and also as the authorised agent under his real name. Obviously, that's to get the money. Fidel ends up in hospital having an operation, and Dunstall instructs Fidel's accountant to transfer the $30,000 deposit into a bank account. Now, this account is actually Mr. Duck's account. So it looks like Dunstall is trying to get Duck off his back by defrauding Fidel. Luckily, the accountant for Mr. Fidel was suspicious and so no money was transferred. Again, no truck trailer ever passed into the possession of Mr. Fidel either from or through Dunstall. So you can see how Dunstall works, offering fake or non-existent or even property that he doesn't own for sale, he's able to convince the buyers to transfer money, he sends photos and fake documents to be able to put people off and wait, lay their suspicions. But you know, unless you're really good at this, you're eventually going to get caught. So now you know what a cunt Dunstall is, let's get back to the main story. So the meth lab was not working out due to the chemicals Dunstall supplied being shit. This has put Mr. Archer in a bit of a financial difficulty. So Dunstall tells Archer that he has a contact in Canberra that is currently growing a large amount of marijuana and that for a bulk purchase he can get a very good price for it. Dunstall's contact in Canberra was willing to supply 100 kilos of pot for a $30,000 deposit and for the rest to be on credit. This Dunstall is unreal, isn't he? Anyway, at the same time as this is going on, Archer supplies Dunstall with a handgun to go and scare the guys that supplied the dodgy meth chemicals. Now, as we now know, there were probably no other guys that Dunstall brought the precursors off. It was all made up to take money from his so-called brother... Archer. So the lies are starting to get more and more complex and fucked up. Archer teams up with Brixton to purchase the pot and he sends John Gazowski on May the 15th, 2014 to Wagga Wagga to give Dunstall 30000 as a deposit for the 100 kilos of pot and soon after gives him the further $15,000 on June the 2nd and increases the order to 150 kilos. This $45,000 given to Dunstall were called his greenkeeping fees and the final amount owing to the Canberra pot growers was about $300,000. Now, of course, there are no Canberra pot growers. There's no pot, just like there were no trucks to be sold to Mr. Duck. It's all a con by Dunstall to defraud his mates, his brothers, 
out of a stack of money. Dunstall again downloaded photos of growing rooms and pot to show Archer and Brixton that the marijuana did in fact exist and it was almost ready to be delivered. This kept them at bay for a while, but soon Dunstall's charm and his constant delays in delivering the pot starts to wear thin. Archer and Brixton are getting the shits with him and demand that the delivery takes place. Dunstall tells Archer and Brixton that the pot is ready to be picked up on the evening of the 9th of June. Now, I do have differing times. Some say all this happens in the AM and some say PM. I'm going to use the PM reports which I got from the court documents. Archer tells Gazowski that he is to meet Dunstall at the Sutton Forest Service Centre which is a rest stop on the Hume Highway where you can fill up your car and buy food and all that sort of stuff. They usually have like a 7-Eleven. It's a bit of a truck stop. So Gazowski is coming in the Hyundai van from Sydney and the Sutton Forest Rendezvous point. Well, that's about an hour and a half or so drive and it's also a halfway point on the way to Canberra. So this is a logical meetup point. Dunstall will be driving his truck, which is actually a very large semi-trailer prime mover thing, as he has a delivery in Sydney from his base in Wagga Wagga. On the way, he will meet Gazowski and they will both get in the Hyundai and travel to Canberra to pick up the pot. Dunstall will then return to his truck and complete his run for his employer. Well, that's the plan. But as we know, there's no pot. Funny enough, Dunstall, on the four-hour drive from Wagga Wagga to meet Gazowski, gets pulled over by the highway patrol at Maroolan for a minor issue with his truck. If only the police had checked out the cabin of the truck, they may have found the handgun that Dunstall was carrying. Gazowski arrived at the rendezvous point at the arranged time of 7pm, but Dunstall, after being delayed, arrives at 8.15pm. Gazowski is seen on the CCTV filling the van with gas. Gasoline. When Dunstall arrives, he tells Gazowski that there's a change of plans and that the gunja is actually at Pheasant's Nest and not Canberra. Now, Pheasant's Nest Service Centre is back on the Hume Highway towards Sydney, about 45 minutes drive. Dunstall, in his prime mover, follows Gazowski in the Hyundai van And when they reach Pheasant's Nest, he parks his truck and gets into the Hyundai. Now, at this point, it's not exactly clear what goes down other than they drive to Jamboree Lookout. They have to turn around and go back the way they just came for a distance and then turn left off the Hume Highway towards the lookout. So we don't really know if the gun was pulled on John Gazowski at Pheasant's Nest when Dunstall got in the van with him, or if it was produced at a later time during the drive to Jamboree Lookout. It really doesn't matter, I guess, as when Dunstall and Gazowski arrive at the lookout, they walk maybe 25 metres into the scrub, and it is here that Dunstall shoots Gazowski in the head at close range, just above the right ear, killing him instantly. Dunstall leaves Gazowski where he fell, gets back into the Hyundai van, drives back to where his truck is parked at Pheasant's Nest, leaves the Hyundai there and drives onward to Sydney in his truck. Now Dunstall's truck has satellite tracking, so it just looks like he's had a rest stop on his way to Sydney. 
Later, Dunstall calls Archer and tells him he has picked up the weed in Canberra and that Gazowski is on his way back in the van to deliver it. He also said that Gazowski left his mobile phone in his truck so he won't be contactable. Fuck, this guy just lies. Anyway, somewhere along the way, he disposes of the gun, which has never been found, and on arrival to a work site in Sydney, Dunstall dumps Gazowski's encrypted BlackBerry phone, which is later found by a worker. Now, as we know, being an encrypted BlackBerry, no information is able to be obtained from it. Well, Gazowski had told his wife before he left that he had a job installing CCTV cameras in Canberra and that he would be staying overnight, so she isn't expecting him back straight away. When Gazowski doesn't turn up with a gunja, Archer and Brixton start to wonder what the fuck is going on. Dunstall tells Archer and Brixton again that he saw Gazowski drive off towards Sydney after they loaded the gunja in the van. He had no idea why he hadn't made it back to Sydney. When John Gazowski doesn't arrive home on the night of the 10th of June, his wife starts to become worried as he also had not returned any phone calls or messages. It's the 15th of June, 2014, about five or six days after being killed, John Gazowski's body is found by a park ranger at the Jamboree lookout. John's wife Jackie made several public appeals for any information that would help find his killer. The Hyundai van would be found about a week later abandoned at the Pheasant's Nest truck stop. Homicide detectives investigating the death of John Gazowski would end up handing the case over to the organised crime squad Strike Force Brinkley after realising it was linked to an ongoing investigation into commercial drug manufacture and supply. Part of the Strike Force was looking at the Archer and Brixton meth lab operation. Now, Dunstall suggested to Archer and Brixton that Gazowski had tried to rip them off and sell the gunja to another dealer, and that in doing so, they had taken the pot for themselves and killed him. He also told them that the Canberra growers now wanted the rest of their $300,000. Oh, the lies, the lies. This is all being monitored by police who have set up surveillance on the group. On the 12th of May 2015, so this is quite a, a, you know, nearly a year later, Dunstall is arrested for the murder of John Gazowski and Archer and Brixton become witnesses for the prosecution. Obviously, they did a deal to give evidence in return for favourable treatment in regards to their drug operation. Also, they must have realised Dunstall had double-crossed them with the phony drug deal. (laughs) Fuck, you'd be pissed off being conned by this guy and then realising it was the same guy that fucked you over on the meth precursors. Which is lucky, as usually the underworld are tight-lipped and this makes investigations difficult. Dunstall gives a story to the cops that the last he saw of Gazowski was meeting him at Sutton's Forest where he said he was with two other men of Pacific Islander appearance. He said he told them where to pick up the gunja in Canberra and that was it. He told police he was never a paid agent and that he had only set up the deal to help out his mate who had a debt. Dunstall also told police that he had never been to the Jamboree lookout before but subsequent inquiries would show that he had visited the area with his family months before the killing. There were photos on his phone proving he'd been there. 
If you're going to lie, you need to have a good memory. So it goes to trial with Dunstall charged with murder, but pleading not guilty and sticking to his story that I outlined before. On the 16th of October 2018, the jury retired to consider its verdict. The following day, a verdict of guilty of murder was returned. Now, without reading out all the judge's comments, he basically said that Dunstall carried out the murder in a premeditated and cold-blooded manner with absolutely no remorse. He did it to try to cover up the phony drug deal he'd set up for his associates, which in turn was created by himself for financial gain. He described Dunstall as a practised, chronic, recidivist deceiver. There you go. Like I actually got this. Oh, how many times I tried to say recidivist. I got it again. Oh, that's great. Anyway, he also remembered that many years ago, the offender was convicted of soliciting another person to commit a murder and sentenced by a judge of, of this court to be subject to a five-year good behaviour bond. I mean, what the fuck? A five-year good behaviour bond for soliciting a murder. Now, that's another if-only sort of moment. If they'd only taken it a bit more serious on what he'd done back then, he was a lot younger, maybe, maybe, I don't know, because these guys that are pathological liars, it's just it's ingrained in them. But, oh, well, he got away with that. Dunstall was sentenced to 32 years with a non-parole period of 24 years. The earliest Dunstall will be eligible for possible release to parole is the 11th of May 2039. So I debated whether or not to bring you this story for the last week. I kept thinking, will it cause the family more pain or not? I did reach out to them, but I got no reply. But then I just wanted to bring you the main gist of the case. The fact that there are some people out there that are just pathological liars and cheats. They can come into your life without you realising who they really are. Some might only rip you off or steal your stuff, but some may even take your life. Also, there's the side of the story where a genuinely good family man who made an investment mistake that financially ruined him and his family's future tried to make a few extra bucks on the side doing something he naively thought was relatively harmless. I'm sure the only thing he was worried about on his way to Canberra to pick up the pot was hoping not to get pulled over and busted by the cops. Instead, his life was taken by a cold and callous murderer, someone he'd met and was trusted by his employer. He had no reason whatsoever to think Dunstall would be dangerous. And my thoughts go out to the Gazowski family for their loss. Well, that's the end of the first show for the year. And as I said before, I have some really good cases lined up. This year, I will try to bring a new case every week rather than use one week with a case following. Unless, of course, there is something really important that has happened during that week. So now it's time to shout out for the new and upgrading Patreon supporters. There's Bonnie Lee... There's Lisa, Nadine Joy, Lisa Oz, Sophia Eileen McPhail, Sharice Willis, Kate O'Neill, and Tony Fairburn. Also, a big shout out to Catherine Harbert. Good on you, Catherine. 
Thank you all so much for your support and thanks so much to all the present and past Patreon supporters of the island. True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free as I know you don't like ads and neither do I. If you want to support the island financially, for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and check out the levels and the rewards. Alternatively, you can do a one-off donation at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. There's also links to all this sort of stuff on the webpage. You can also support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels and fantastic tote bags. But my favourite are the mugs of rage. I've got one. I've got so many mugs now. All available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. I do have keychains, lapel pins, stickers and beer koozies, which you need to contact me directly for. That can be done by emailing me. That's cambo at truecrimeisland.com. And that's also the best way to contact me personally for anything else such as case requests or just to say boom vagalanga. Also, this week, anyone who is due a reward for Patreon, I will be contacting you and getting your order details. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in to podcasts, just show them. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join the closed group on Facebook. A Happy New Year to Senga, Susan, Erica and Jason for all your help moderating. Now, I haven't had time to sort out promos this week, but if you are into YouTube, I found an interesting show on there. So if you search for Stephanie Harlow, now that's Harlow with an E, she does a true crime show, which if you like my show, I reckon you'll like hers. She does give her opinion as well, but doesn't quite have the same full-on range. But check it out. She, she's very good. So that's about it for the first show of 2019. Lots of love to Maggie James, and I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom Vagalanga. And don't forget to vote for the Australian Podcast Awards. 